This is the Conduit Church Podcast. It is our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us. Thanks for joining us for this week's teaching. That uh, sums up in one minute what we experienced this week. I've asked Caleb to join me for a moment because uh, he doesn't get enough credit for this. There's a microphone right there. Whenever you see videos and stuff, I mean, it's the, the, like really moving. A lot of times it's Caleb and the work that he's done. And he, <laughs> once again, I mean, once again, crushed. And to keep this in mind, so you were in Asia for how long? Uh, Probably not. I haven't used a microphone or stood on stage before, actually. Um, we left. It's a lot of uh, fun, ain't it? Yeah, I know. Hey, y'all. It's, well, it's nice that there's only like half the room filled. Um, Eric and I left for Asia on the 2nd. I got back the 11th, I think. I was home for 36 hours and then hopped on a plane, middle seat, middle of the plane, <laughs> to Israel with you. Uh, 12 hours. So that was fun. <laughs> Yeah, I'm 100% convinced that had Paul have known about middle seats, that on, I've been snake bit, imprisoned. I had to sit in the middle row on an LL flight for 12 hours. I mean, it's just... <laughs> Our babies on international planes. Yeah, God bless yeah. babies. We love them in the church, but in the, <laughs> behind me in the middle of the night, not so much. So, so this is Caleb's second time to go to Israel with us. This was a little bit different than the first time uh, you went with us because this was a solidarity mission. We were there to get some stuff done and to figure some stuff out. This is actually on the Jordanian border. What you can't see behind our heads is a, the, a, the Jordanian tower with the guards with guns just in case we were gonna make a fast move. And so we just smiled real big. But uh, So Caleb, you come from rescuing slaves in Asia to helping to rescue refugees in Israel. Can, is there one moment that sums up that impacted you the most? I know there, there's a lot, obviously a lot. But yeah. What would be the one moment that sure. impacted well, you? Well, actually kind of similar in, for both of them, for me was the relationships with the people. Um, we, uh, like you said, I was there a year ago. It was more of a touristy trip. We got to see a lot of amazing things, but uh, we did not connect with the Israeli people as much. And um, being the uh, professional filmmaker that I am, I forgot my power cords to my camera. Um, so I had to uh, get in a taxi in Tel Aviv on the first night, go to the mall and pick up some power cords. And when I was in the taxi, I started stroke up a conversation with the driver and uh, I get in the car and I guess I look like an American. He's like, bro, what's up? I'm like... <laughs> he gave him the bro. Yeah, in his accent. I was like, what's up, bro? And so... I began to ask him questions. I was like, hey, what's it like the last six months here? What's it been like? What's your experience? And, and he talks about the heartache. He talked about the pain. And then he talks about the loneliness. He felt that Israel felt like alone in the entire world. And he talked about specifically the need for relationship, the connection between the U.S. and here, and, and specifically around the younger people, millennials and Gen Z. And as we spent the week breaking bread with our brothers and sisters in Israel, and I was, we, we literally sat at the table and talked with them and got to know them, I realized the importance of relationship and specifically around 
us in Israel, the relationship. And the one thing that the taxi driver told me is that if we do not have a relationship, if we do not create that connection, Israel will not exist. It, it will be blown off the face of the earth. And so that was something that was both in Asia, being able to spend hours and hours on a brick kiln with slaves, talking with them, filming, taking pictures, laughing, and in Israel, being able to break bread, sit, laugh, take pictures. In the midst of the worst stories I've ever heard in my life, that was the biggest takeaway, was the need for deep connection and relationship with our brothers and sisters across the pond. Yeah. Would you give him a hand? That's... Thanks, man. That was... He didn't have to say yes. So if you remember the Gepner family... They were with us a few weeks ago. We managed to uh, spend multiple days with Iftak. This is actually his wife. Uh, I remember the two daughters. Their, their little boy uh, was at school, which is amazing because there's a school now. They're going back. Like, it's not, I mean, there's still bombs falling everywhere, but they're going back to school with it. So he wasn't uh, there for this photo. Um, but that was, actually, let me give you a little bit of a, a so, Israel as in general, actually, let me give you the big view. This is actually the, obviously the big picture of Israel. Uh, those little yellow stars down on the Gaza Strip, like that's where we spent uh, the week. Um, that's within half a kilometer to a kilometer uh, from the Gaza border. So every place we were was all along. We could uh, see the, the smoke in the distance. We could hear uh, the, the aircraft going over us. And, uh, and you know, yeah, it was a, it was a little intense. Um, but what we also got to see was the resilience of a group of people that was inspiring. Um, being able to just, in fact, one day we were headed north and we were supposed to, we were headed to the northern border, but it turned out Hezbollah decided that was uh, a day where they were going to start shelling. So we we detoured and went to Galilee and on top of Mount Arbel. Um, in the distance is Mount Hermon, for my blurry creature people, uh, <laughs> snow-capped. Um, but in that upper border there is, is a corner where Syria, Lebanon, and Israel, all it's like a triangle, and they all come together on top of Mount Hermon, which is a fascinating thought, you know, a battle that started thousands of years ago is there's, that's still the ground zero for one of the battles over there. Uh, we had the chance to interview several people while we we're there. This was a, uh, lieutenant or something. He was in IDF, um, became a follower of Jesus because he was, he kept encountering Jesus people in, in Israel. Like, humanitarian missions, and he's, we've got some of this on video, he's asking questions like, why in the world is this, this neurosurgeon who's like 60 years old, and she's very wealthy, clearly, but she's willing to walk across the border into Syria to, have, to do surgeries and to do operations, and so I ask her why, she says, well, I love Jesus and I love Israel, you know, so this is what we do here, and it, over the years, that was what brought him to Jesus. Uh, he has some very specific opinions as to what's happening and what needs to happen, uh, especially as a former uh, official in IDF. Um, th this is one of my favorite moments right here. That is on the left is uh, he, loves, uh, he loves people and hates terrorists. So he is, um, that's uh, basically, I was thinking about uh, Brendan because I think it's got some great Pyrenees in him, but 
Uh, but when he starts giving, hoo, 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 this, is, uh, this is on the Jordan border. The minute he starts barking into the trees, they've got guns up because you know, that's his job. Is like we, we have him out here to keep coyotes out and they have him there to keep terrorists out. And so he was real sweet until he heard something rustling in the bushes. And uh, this is actually uh, a general named uh, Grisha. Grisha was in the IDF for, a colonel, I'm sorry, for 25 years, was the mayor of Gaza. Uh, was the last Israeli IDF out of Gaza uh, when they turned it over to the Palestinian Authority back in 2007, I believe. So he has a very torn uh, relationship there because he helped so many people in Gaza. And one of the things he was saying, so I, I understand on the one hand how the, the, the Hamas you know, army is in there, but then there were thousands of civilians that came in behind and were, were pillaging and were looting and other things in our village. And it was, it obviously was, he was very, uh, he, he was very much struggling with that and what to do about that because these are people that he thought that he was helping. And then they, obviously he felt very, very betrayed and had some, as, as any good colonel who spent 25 years fighting off terrorists would be, he has some fairly strong opinions as well. Now that's sort of the challenges that were in front of us. And just so you know, in the next week or two, we're going to be uh, releasing some uh, content through the Deeper podcast. You know, we're in a family service this morning. There's kids watching online. So there's, there's a lot of things that I'm not going to be able to share in these next few moments. Uh, you can read them. Uh, you can find them for now. Uh, it seems like the internet uh, has a good way of scrubbing and, and changing narratives, but I was there and I saw it with my own two eyes. Uh, what I did want to show you is this, that we, uh, six weeks ago, uh, we had Iftak, his daughters, and this is Todd Lamphere, uh, and we raised $220,000 in, in one Sunday for our friends in Ein Absor. So this is a, is a sign that now stands inside their, their town that is, uh, and by the way, this will be the first time and maybe last time ever in our lives where Paula White Ministries and Conduit Church are side by side on something. Uh, <laughs> she's probably just as surprised as I was. But the, <laughs> but the thing is, man, and this is so important, when there are real, 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 real problems in the world, it turns out some of these theological things that we get all wound up about, they don't get it. They're not as important as they were once before, you know? And I've found in many people, brothers and sisters, that maybe their theology might not line up with mine here and mine not line up with theirs here. Uh, when you're talking about literally a fight for the future of our world, uh, I'm willing to say uh, to MSNBC or CNN or whoever else that has opinions about Paula or whoever, uh, uh, nobody's watching you anyway, so who cares? Um, so this is Elat. Elat is Iftak's brother. And Iftak's brother is the one that protected their, uh, their village. Uh, when the terrorists were coming, he had the ability and the courage to get to the gate, to get it locked, and to immediately to begin to return fire. He survived. You remember he, he survived a, uh, being shot once, a, a mortar fire that came over his head, then being shot multiple more times in the Tesla, which apparently is uh, bulletproof. Um, at least the car was. Uh, that's, that's Elat 
he is back. He's standing the gate with his weapon, protecting his village. He's literally living in the same village that they came into because he is not going to let uh, a bunch of cowards chase him and his family out of their home. So we had an incredible week. I'm going to share with you uh, in the coming days and weeks what it is that God is leading us to do there. We're sort of on, it was a little bit exploratory, but what I really got to see, uh, what like Caleb said, was uh, my brothers and sisters that said, look, we don't want your money. We don't want your pity. We just want friends. I heard that over and over and over again. These kids, if toxic kids, imagine they're 13, 17 years old and they're watching uh, TikTok and every other video. If you, you can Google this story and find it, Wall Street Journal ran a test about a month ago, uh, set up a bunch of dummy accounts, uh, young female, 13-year-old girl accounts, just to see how long it would take before TikTok started serving up violent uh, whatever kind of materials to little kids. And it, uh, within hours, 36 to 40% of what they were seeing was violent war. And most of it was anti-Semitic, pro-Palestinian. Imagine now you got these two teenage girls and their teenage friends, and that's what's get, being fed to them on there is everybody saying that this didn't really happen. It was a fake. It, it was, it was, it's, it's crushing for them, obviously. And so uh, we have a chance to love this village. We have a chance to... Uh, I've, our whole thing has always been about community transformation. We go to Africa, right? We drill wells. We build a school. Well, they got clean water, right? They got a school. You know, what they needed was a, uh, were security drones. So that's what we're buying. Uh, we're going to buy security drones for them to put over the top of their uh, village so they can keep security going. We've helped outfit. I was just thinking about this like in Falls Grove. They, instead of having like an amenity center, they literally have a security center now with cameras everywhere. People man the security things and they've got the cameras with it. And um, Because this, by the way, before October 7th, that's just how they lived. Literally, in fact, when you, one of the things we were talking about in these interviews was that these kids, this is, how, this is just their normal day for them is, oh, we just, we just thought it was a bomb, it'll be over. Or we, I remember uh, one of them said, or we, you know, if it's a little bit worse than that, that means we get to go to a lot, which is like going to Tim's Ford Lake. Like they're, they, you know, we get a little weekend away. Like, but it's a normal part of their lives to have bombs like this falling on them. So they, they weren't even alarmed at first from it, but that's just how they've lived for the last, well, since every one of these kids were born and since 2007 when Israel handed over uh, this land in exchange for peace, um, we won't talk about it today because we've got, uh, mostly because we've got kids and I'll bore you into your, your but we're going to end the deeper podcast if we'll talk about exactly why Israel does have a right to this land and why this is not just a battle over land. If they said it wasn't a battle over land. They called it the Al-Aqsa flood. It wasn't the free Gaza attack, right? It wasn't the free Palestine attack. This was a Al-Aqsa flood, the, the, the Temple Mount. This is the, the attack is about from the river to the sea, pushing them out and taking over the Temple Mount for good. So it wasn't just this thing that we're seeing regurgitated mindlessly on MSNBC. Uh, they, it's funny, if you want to know what a terrorist wants, just ask them. They're telling us. It's not like they're hiding it. It's in their charters and stuff. So uh, I do want to share this, and then I want to share something from First John, and then let you guys go sledding uh, with the cattle uh, with it. But uh, if, if you're in this room this morning, you're like, why does this matter? Why are we talking about this again? Uh, I got to spend a little bit more time with our friend Zev Orenstein from City of David. 
It's the actual original spot that they believe where Jerusalem originally existed and where there is ample evidence that it is actually David's palace. Uh, it's incredible. And Zev is a friend of mine. He has done, he's been so generous in giving us private tours. And anyway, this is, this is us just after doing a tour asking Zev, what would you say to Conduit Church uh, if you had a chance to speak? And this is what he said. It says in Genesis 12, 3, that those who bless Israel will be blessed and those who curse Israel will be cursed. Uh, we don't need to speak of the truth of God's words. It's, God's word speaks for itself. Uh, but what does that mean to bless Israel? Prayer is very important. Uh, at the same time, prayer is not enough. When you look at the story of the splitting of the sea and you have literally the nation of Israel trapped between a rock and a hard place, caught between the sea and Pharaoh's armies approaching. The people freak out, they go to Moses and they're like, Moses, do something. And Moses begins to pray. And God says to Moses, now it's not a time for prayer. It's a time for action, right? It is a time for doing. And what I would say, one thing that's really important, don't do just because you're doing for Israel. I mean, it's, we appreciate the sentiment, it's really nice, but Israel is the last society on the planet. It is the home of all the values that are important to you come from here, right? What you call the Judeo-Christian heritage, the biblical heritage, it comes from Jerusalem. The people who hate us, hate you, right? The people who want to destroy us, they want to destroy that heritage, the biblical heritage that comes from Jerusalem, that comes from the land of Israel. It comes from the places where the forefathers and foremothers, the founding fathers, the founding mothers, where the kings of the Bible ruled and the prophets of the Bible preach, it's right here. They hate all those things, right? The assault that is taking place today from different quarters. In the Middle East, it's from one quarter. In perhaps other parts of the world, it's from a different area. But it is the same assault on the values that you live by, that you're trying to raise your children by. And that's what's at stake here. So don't feel bad for us. Don't feel sorry for us. Uh, we're, we, don't, we don't need your sympathy. If you want to stand together with us, one, because you know it's what God wants, and two, because it's in your interest to do so, because we are fighting your fight. We're fighting the fight to preserve the heritage and the values that you are trying to build your nation on, that you're trying to build your homes upon, that you're trying to raise your children and grandchildren upon, then stand with us. And together, we could do a lot of great things uh, in fighting the good fight. There are many things we may not agree on, but I think there are even more that we do. Uh, and I think on this issue, in terms of the values that matter most, uh, we're on the same page. Uh, and God willing, uh, we will be able to uh, stand together uh, in the battle, I think, of our generation. Uh, and we will be able to uh, stand together, fight together, and, and hopefully celebrate together in Jerusalem, uh, ultimately when we are able to uh, be victorious over our shared enemies. That's my buddy Zev. He'll be in America back in uh, February. I'm working right now to put something together for him to do just a night here, Q&A, uh, talking about what's going on on the ground with a couple others. We'll, we'll make some announcements on that once I get everybody confirmed for it. But just wanted to get together a coalition of pastors, of leaders, uh, of how we can love, how we can make Nashville the safest city in America for a Jewish person to live and uh, I can think of no greater honor than, than that for us to get to be a part of that. So uh, we've only got just a few minutes and I knew that going into this. So I'm gonna give you a quick flyover of what we're gonna talk about next week in 1 John chapter two. It actually ties exactly into what we experienced this last week. So if you've got your Bibles in these few moments, if you're at home, uh, throw the kids some more mac and cheese, get your Bible, 
I just want to read the last few verses of 2 John, because remember last week, Mo talked about the light and, and photosynthesis and whatever it was he was synthesizing in science class, um, for those that were there. And this is about the light, like the light, but he switches in the end of chapter two when he starts talking about, okay, but this is what the darkness is. Because there is a light and there is a dark. That's what John was pointing out 2,000 years ago, and it's still true today because humans are old creatures. There's nothing new under the sun. We have the same battle because we're, we're the same human nature with the same enemy, and we have the same hope because we have the same Jesus. So maybe we've got flying cars in the future. Maybe we've got electric one now, and they were driving camels back then. That might have changed, but Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. Your human nature is the same until he comes and redeems it. This is an old book, but we are an old species. So Second John, sorry, First John chapter 2. I'm just going to read verses 18. You know, I'm going to read 18 through the end of the chapter. Dear children, this is the last hour as you have heard that Antichrist is coming. And even now, many Antichrists have come. Now, this is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you, speak to Christian people, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is Antichrist. Denying the Father, acknowledges the Son, has, wait, <laughs> I need to get the bigger glasses. I, I grabbed the smaller ones this morning, Shan. Sorry about that. I, I just need to throw away all my 1.5s because it's over. <laughs> it's been over. <laughs> if it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And uh, this is what he promised us, eternal life. Verse 26, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. You do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing uh, teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. My wife has a, a picture on her wall now that was uh, Brandy Wagner gave to her, and it says that uh, the, the, a plant keeps its light in its roots. Is somebody saying that right? It's give, it's give or take, that's what it says. But the idea that the photosynthesis that Mo talked about keeps the light, the light actually is in the roots of the tree. That's where it keeps it to do the work. And that's why we talked about reading the word. You know, it's the water, but that's where it keeps the light in it. But the darkness, uh, one of the things that our guide, uh, Amir, said was this. The thing about hate is you can... Hate and destroy quickly. Hate moves very quickly. And he posed the question this way. When, when you, you hear about the, the Twin Tower attacks, he says, you couldn't name, a, maybe someone in this room, because I got a lot of smart people in our church family, but could anyone name a single engineer that was part of the construction of the Twin Towers in New York City? The answer, I don't know any. I couldn't name one. Well, of course, you, yeah, because you were in the mob. That's why. But uh, 
Don't let Tracy's little zhuzh thing go. Don't mess with the family. Um, I couldn't name a single engineer, but I could, which, I mean, how long did it take to build the twin? I mean, decades, right? Like years and years and years. It took a couple of hours to knock it down and you could name the guy that did it. There's hate that moves so quickly and hate that gives you a name, but it's love that takes time. And love, it's why the Bible refers to love as fruit, right? Because it takes time and we're called to love. And what I want to show you next week, but this is just some homework for you if you, if you want to, to, to tease this out a little bit. But it's there, there are, I think right now, four competing worldviews that are coming at us right now. Now in America, we're, ni- we're myopic enough to think that ours is the only battle for a future vision for this world. Um, but that's not true. There's there's a battle coming from the East of, of ideology. There's a battle coming in the Middle East of an ideology. There's a battle coming from Europe, which is an ideology. And so when you think back to the ideologies, the reason that I'm saying ideology is he actually talks about Antichrist here. Now, of course, we've all seen Left Behind, and we know that uh, Antichrist is, it's not Kirk Cameron, right? Who was, who was Antichrist in that one? Nick Cage, or I don't know. But we, when you think Antichrist, you think of this, this person, this coming world leader, right? That's, that, there's, there's truth in that, like that's a thing. But Antichrist here is, is not what he's talking about. Antichrist, Greek language, Shindel, you can let me know if I get this wrong, is it's in place of Christ opposed to Christ. So it's, it's not just like, you know, Dr. Evil, right? A million dollars. It's the idea is that it's in place of Christ, and anything in place of Christ is a dark ideology. And when you go back to the revolutions, I've read a book of maybe two years ago when it came out, Oz Guinness's Magna Carta of Humanity. It's a fascinating read, but he goes back and he basically makes a case that there have been two revolutions. He's like, revolutions can be good. You just better make sure that whatever revolution you're in is the right one, Right? So he talked about, and he juxtaposes the revolution of 1776, our revolution, and the revolution of 1789, which was the French revolution. One was a revolution based on Judeo-Christian ethics. 1789 was based on secular humanism. And when you see those are your two choices, this is the case he makes in this book, is the secular godless uh, covenant or the covenant that comes from Judeo-Christian. And he makes the case that it's this mountain, right, which is the mountain of Sinai, where God made that covenant. There's the mountain, which, by the way, the French Revolution, they called themselves, the, the, the political party, the mountain. So you've got the mountain of France. You've got the mountain in Sinai. Then there's this mountain called, I want to make sure I get the name of it right, uh, Mount Hira, which is in Saudi Arabia near Mecca. That is where Mohammed's deal was made on another mountain. So you're following the mountain like theory here, a covenant on a mountain in France, a covenant on a mountain in Sinai, a covenant on a mountain in Saudi Arabia. But there's one other covenant that was made on another mountain called Golgotha. And our question is, as we move into next week, which mountain am I going to choose? Because any mountain that isn't Jesus, that is an antichrist. It is in place of Christ. And I want to show you, I'll just tease this out, uh, 
literally, Islam, it's the opposite of Jesus. In fact, I, this is this is the first pass at it. But it, when you even read Islam, it's not Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, like where Isaac is the one that's following God. It's actually Ishmael is the one. So it's Ishmael that's the promised one. So Jesus ascends 650 years, give or take later, a, a prophet uh, comes along, quote unquote, Muhammad, and rewrites the Bible with everything backwards in it. Everything is backwards, right? Your body broken for me is Islam. That's Muhammad. You have to you know, martyr him and dying for me. Christianity is my body broken for you. It's Jesus going, no, I'm gonna let my body be broken for you. Islam, whether it's Shia or Sunni, you can hasten the return of, of their Mahdi, of their return of their, their savior, so to speak, by creating violence. We can hasten the return of Christ by preaching the gospel, by love. Uh, Islam is jihad. It's actually struggle. It's fighting for. It's martyr. That's, it's, it's literally a fight, and it's a struggle, and it's a wrestle, and Christianity is rest. Islam, you better get to work. Christianity is, it is finished. The, there is a difference between Islam and Christianity, but here's the thing. Secular progressives have done the same thing. They've reversed everything. Pride, I'm old enough to remember when it was a sin, right? But now we've reversed it and it's something to be proud of, right? I'm old enough to remember when the rainbow was awesome. The reading rainbow, like we, we loved it. Like, but, but if, and, and I'll go down this next week. The, the, the reversal is anti-Christ in place of Christ. We're going to look at those four worldviews, see how they lie to us, how darkness, and I want to, I think, prove to you conclusively how it is that Christ himself is in fact our hope of glory. And that is why we are compelled to love, to reach, to serve, not because I, it's fun. I mean, I got to tell you, sitting in a middle row of an LL flight, not much fun. The food on the plane, really not fun. But the love of Christ compels us to go, right? The love of Christ compels us to say that these are Jesus' brothers. So we're going to hit that next week. And I want to hit it uh, carefully. But I hope that you see what I've experienced. And that is that this Christ, this Messiah that John wrote about so long ago was his friend. And that he was a Jew. He was born in Israel. He was raised in Israel. He was resurrected in Israel. He is returning to Israel. And that is why we keep talking about Israel. But what the, what the Jewish people need more than land, what I need more than land, what we all need more than any of that is we need Jesus Christ inside of us. Yes, we want this, this future for our world. There's a, there's a competing version of this world, and that's what Islam, uh, I saw firsthand what their, what their vision for our world is, and I want to know part of it. I don't want any part of the secular humanist vision for our world. But if we don't get the vision for our own world, right, we don't have to worry about that antichrist out there. We have to get the antichrist in our own heart and lay it down. So as I pray for you and dismiss, this week, seek the Lord as to what, where is my own little antichrist? Where, where am I putting in place of Christ right now? Is it fasting is a great time to ask yourself that because you've already eliminated some of you anyway, food from that, if that was what you were replacing. But find out, ask yourself what in my life is anti in place of Christ? Because without that firm foundation, we're going to miss actual antichrist. 
because we'll be busy fighting with our own. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're so good to us. You're so, we're so grateful. Would you be with our brothers and sisters this morning all over the world? And once again, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Once again, we pray that your will be done. And we ask for your will, Father, to become crystal clear of how it is that we can love these brothers of ours, these friends of ours. We pray for peace today in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, the, the Gebner family sends their blessings and greetings. They said they talked about it everywhere. We were their very, very first stop of I don't know how many. They said they'll never forget the special place that you guys have in their hearts and they hope to come back and see us soon. So any love from the Gebners to you. God bless you. Dismissed. If you're watching at home, thank you for, uh, man, thanks for tuning in. We will hopefully see you next week with a clear parking lot. Shoulders.